turn to Acts chapter 15. Now, if you were here last week, you were saying last week we were in Acts 15. Well, last week we talked about the content in the chapter, about the things that were done and how important they were for us, the necessity to recognize that salvation is not by our earning it, but by God's freely giving it and us accepting it. It's by faith and not by the things that we do. We saw that there was the attempt to put uh, the rituals that were common at that time to those in Jerusalem upon the Gentile Christians, especially circumcision, as that we're going to read here. And there was a, a contention about that, and so the result was going to the disciples in Jerusalem. And we're going to continue looking at this, but now we're going to kind of look at the people that were involved with this and how that worked in their own hearts, not so much just what was talked about, but what was taking place in these people. And chapter 14, it ended on such a high note. God was doing great things through Paul and Barnabas, and they were excited. And then I jokingly said on Thursday nights as we're going through the Bible verse by verse, I said, and they lived happily ever after, but they didn't. And in fact, here we are, and it's not happily ever after. And have you ever noticed that? Has anyone's life been happily ever after? Okay, I didn't think so. I was going to be sad if it, you raised your hand. Not for you, but for me. How do you do that? So anyway, let's read verses 1 and 2 in Acts 15. If you need a Bible, also raise your hand, and they can bring you one while we're reading. You'll have to catch up later. So, uh, Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea, to Antioch, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And so here comes these people from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is headquarters. That's where this all began. That's where the church was born, so to speak. And from there they took headquarters and they started branching out to Samaria, to Judea, to the uttermost parts of the world as we've been talking about. And that's kind of been our whole subject to the ends of the earth is what the book of Acts is about. It is the acts of the church taking place in history. And that's why Luke, the physician, is so clear on the people he mentions, on those who were overseeing in government areas at that time. He's very specific to tell about when this was taking place. And it's continuing to take place throughout history, the acts of the church. That would be us who are followers of Christ, who believe in him and are taking up that mantle, so to speak, taking that baton and continuing that work. And here this contention comes from Jerusalem, from Judea, that area, comes down to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are at. And they start saying, if you want to really be saved, you need to be circumcised. Of course, this catches the attention of all the men. They say, wait a second. No one told us about this. These guys have been enjoying this relationship with God for a year, year and a half now. And all of a sudden, these guys come along and, and start saying, oh, by the way, you need to do this as well. 
It's kind of like, you know, is this one of those bait and switch things? You know, you go in and they, oh, we don't have that any longer, but now we have this. Instead of bait and switch, it's bait and snip. You know, it's kind of like, oh, wait, no one told me about this. And, and so there's a lot of, sorry, uh, there's a lot of stirring up and problems going on here in the hearts of these guys saying, what, what is this about? And I want to get a little deeper into what's taking place because in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, when Peter, this is Paul, talking about an event that took place just prior to what we're reading here. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. James is the head in Jerusalem. He is kind of the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. He is the brother, or stepbrother, if you would, of Jesus. And so he is part of that group. And so Peter was opposed because he was in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision, the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. That's a little burn there. In front of them all, he rebukes Peter and says, you know, before these guys came down, you had no problem hanging out with everyone. But all of a sudden, these guys come here and you start acting all spiritual. You start acting different. You put on your, your face and you start sitting with them and separating because there was a big what would you call prejudice that took place between the Jews and the Gentiles? And he challenges Peter, why would you act this way? It's wrong. And and what I want to focus on is what's going to take place with Peter? Because how do you feel when you're rebuked in front of other people? Are you happy about it? Oh, thank you for humiliating me in front of everybody. I feel so much better now. Or is it like, wait till you turn your back on me, I'm going to get you. Or is that just me? Is my evil side coming out? (laughs) Don't mess with Sam. Peter was rebuked in front of everyone. And then, after he leaves, these other people come down and they start making this claim. And so what needs to be done, as they said in verse 2, is they've got to go back up to Judea where Peter and James are to get this ironed out. There is a possibility that this could go terribly wrong. There is the potential for Peter to say, oh, okay, Now you're on my turf. Now I'm in charge. Now how does it feel? I'm going to have authority over you because I am the chief up here. 
in Judea. And now you have to come and get my approval for this situation. There is that potential. I mean, we're talking about Peter, who is one of Jesus' right-hand men. He was rebuked here in Antioch, which either gives you comfort or makes you a little bit uneasy. You know, wait, wait this is Jesus' number one follower, and he was acting this way? What's that about? And you either say, yeah, I identify with that because I, I fit into that sometimes myself. I act a little pious at times, and I need to be put in my place. Or else you say, wow, this is kind of heavy. What, what's taking place here? That's really what's important. That's kind of what I want to talk about is the complexity of who we are as people. And I like that word complex. I like to say I'm complex rather than I'm schizo. You know, it just sounds better. I'm complex. But sometimes it looks like I'm schizo. Sometimes I act a certain way and I have this, this line of thinking and this way I want to live. But every now and then I just betray the things that I know I should do. You guys ever struggle with those kinds of things? You know you should act and behave this way, but boy, sometimes some things come out of you that you just wonder, oh gosh, that was terrible. Where did that come from? What's going on? And we have this potential to respond well or to respond wrong. And now Peter at one point responded wrong. How is he going to respond now? Well, we see later on in verses 6 how he responds. And, you know, pride is the kind of thing that can really either blind you or distort the things that are true. And if pride were to enter in his heart and want to assert authority over Paul and put him in his place, this is where it could have happened. But in verse 6 we read, the apostles and elders met to consider this question about whether they had to be circumcised or not. And after much discussing, it might say debating in one of the translations. I love that word, debating, because it reminds me of me and my family. We used to debate all the time, just name it. And we were Italian, so it was loud. So I imagine it was really loud, you know. Maybe there's food involved, too. Uh, but after much debating, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And he's talking about when he went to Cornelius earlier, as we read. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting, upon, putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our, our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. What I love about this is Peter's honesty to come back and says, why are you trying to put a burden on them that we can't even bear? You see, Peter couldn't even deal with it when he was down in Antioch. He compromised. He had his shortcomings. He was worried about what people think. He fell short. And he's saying, you're going to make them follow rules and regulations that we ourselves have a hard time following? No. 
And what we see taking place is growth from Peter. Changed from how he behaved in Antioch to how he is in Jerusalem on his own turf with more authority. What does he do? He humbles himself and declares the truth. Not only the truth for what concerns them, but the truth of how it affects him. That we ourselves, he includes himself in the weakness of what the law could not do. In Proverbs 29, 23, it says, A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. If we think that we know it all, if we refuse to grow, then it limits us. It keeps us in a low state. But if we humble ourselves, then we are willing to listen and we are able to grow. And that's what Peter does here. And that's the important thing. James Barry, who is the creator of Peter Pan, he said that life is a long lesson in humility. Can anyone identify with that? I, I look back, and it doesn't matter where I am. If I look back the last 10 years of my life, or the five years, where was I five years ago? And I, I take a snapshot of my life back then. I look at myself and I always think, oh, gosh, I was kind of an idiot back then. Man, I, and I always seem a little more proudful looking back as I feel where I'm at. Man, I, I kind of had an attitude about that. And I dressed funny, too. <laughs> and, and there's this identifying, you look back and you see, man, look what I did back then. And if you go further, it gets worse and worse. <laughs> at least it does with me. It's like, oh, man, you go back. Okay, let's just shut that door, okay, altogether. But what makes me think about that in this lesson of humility of life is in 10 years, when I look back to here, am I going to say the same thing? Am I going to say, man, I was an idiot back then? It's like, well, I want to be aware of it now. Okay, if I'm, if I'm an idiot, let me know. Well, but be gentle, you know. Just, I need to have that attitude of humility because sure enough, Throughout life, you're going to find out all the mistakes you made, all the places you thought you knew something and you didn't know it as you ought to know. And I can look back just in years and think, I handled this situation wrong. I should have done things this way. I was too quick in my anger at this point. I was too hasty to do something in this way. And I look back and I just see the error in my ways constantly. And that either can really depress you or it can give you hope that at least you're growing and changing. And so here they come to this place where there's this recognition of what I am, my weakness in Peter, and he gives freedom instead of restraint and regulations. Later on, Peter even acknowledges in his epistle, in 2 Peter, that Paul's writings were the same as Scripture in Peter, 2 Peter 3.14. He says, Paul says a lot of things. They're hard to understand, and people twist them to use it for their own good as they do the rest of the Scriptures. And so Peter actually elevates Paul 
when he had the potential and just for my nature to kind of put him in his place and say, man, that guy rebuked me. I'll, I'll show you. He's no big deal. Who does Paul think he is? But Peter actually elevates him. And you see, a person of a lowly spirit, he gains honor. And we see honor in Peter's life as he elevates someone else, someone who rebuked him in front of a bunch of people. That's humility. That's a great characteristic. And now jump with me down to the end of this chapter because we're not through with our contention here. In verse 30, Verse 30, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, remember this is his nephew, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here we have another contention. And we have another potential for problem. This time, Paul is the focus. About five years previously, Paul and Barnabas had his nephew Mark with them. It always happens with family, doesn't it? You bring family along, something's going to happen. He's got his nephew with him, and Mark takes off. He splits. We don't know why. We don't know if he was just afraid because they were, there was persecution. We don't know if it was the sickness, and he said, this is enough, I can't handle it, I'm going home to mom. We don't know what's going on, but Mark heads out and he leaves them in the middle of their trip. And this is about five years previously. And so Barnabas says, hey, let me go get Mark. I want to bring him with me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Remember last time? Last time we were in the middle of it, and Mark split. He deserted us. Well, Barnabas says, hey, it's my nephew. Come on. He's not that bad. He's grown up. It's been five years. Cut him some slack. Whatever he said. Paul said, no, I'm not doing it. Nope. Nope, that's wrong. Nope. And there's such a sharp contention that they split company. They couldn't agree. How does that make you feel to hear those things, that these people, these pillars of the church didn't agree? That makes me feel good because I don't agree with a lot of people. <laughs> so, yeah, we, but what's important here is what's going to take place through this disagreement and how they proceed. You see, because our lives are filled with history that we bring into our faith in Christ. I have history that's basically like momentum that's moving me in how I think and how I do things. This is how my mind reacts to situations. This is how I respond to these kinds of things. And Paul was a pretty heavy guy. We saw his credentials. I mean, he was a, a Pharisee. He, he was pretty legit. He was just pretty stern in how he saw things and how he did things. And this guy blew it. No, he's out. Cut and dry. That's how he rolls. 
And so as he's moving in this direction, this comes up. He says, no, it's out of my way. It doesn't fit in my plan. And so let's move it out of the place and let's get it out of here. And this has another potential to be a big problem because now it involves family, at least Barnabas' family. What's going to happen to Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Mark? Aren't they brothers in faith? How is this going to be resolved? What are they going to do? Because they can either set in their ways and not allow anything to happen and just say, I was right, he was wrong, I was right, he was wrong, I was right, he was wrong. Or they can be humble. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Because this is a struggle that we have in us constantly. I don't know how many times I've been in situations with families where someone has done something, someone has said something, and it causes such a conflict in the family that they no longer talk to each other. Because so-and-so said this. It happens at weddings. It happens at funerals. It happens at birthday parties. It happens at Super Bowl parties. I mean, all it takes is someone you know, having too much to drink. It's funny, we were just talking about this the other day. I was doing some dog training up in Hollywood where I used to live, and I took a little picture on, of my old house, and I posted it on my Facebook, and uh, my cousins were responding to me. I remember that house. I remember Thanksgiving. And it's like, oh, yeah, the infamous Thanksgiving. You know, it was like that time where... You know, my grandfather got in a fight with one of my step-uncles, and we had to break them up, and they left, and we had to lock him in his car, and it was like, yeah, that's our family. I mean, it, and they never did talk to each other again. It was like, that's it. Boom. History. And that can happen to us where we can get so locked into this disagreement that all we do is spiral downward. It just takes us down. We will not humble ourselves. We do not want to reconcile. We just... See them as wrong. And what really needs to happen is we need to see ourselves clearly before we can really deal with the situation effectively. See, it's not just about knowing God. It's about recognizing who we are and the things that we bring before God and allowing him to deal with us truly. And Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 7. And it goes pretty in-depth, and I don't want to, for the sake of time, to go too far in it. I'm going to start in verse 7. But basically, he's talking about the, the law was there so that we could see the error of our ways. The law says, do not bear false witness, and it shows us that when we do lie, when we are deceptive, that it's really something wrong inside of us. And at verse 7, let's pick it up there. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang up, life and spring sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life 
actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So Paul's saying, when I was aware of what was right and what was wrong, those things that were established, I saw how far I was. The law said not to do this, and I did it. And, and let's face it, the, the law and the commandments, they're not really lofty. Don't kill. Is that too much to ask? Don't steal someone else's stuff. Don't covet someone else's stuff or his wife. In fact, when he goes home, can his wife still be his wife? And not you try and make her yours? I mean, it's not lofty things. This is pretty clear. And it's not like God is saying, look how high you have to climb. He's saying, this is just what you need to survive, and we still have a way of crawling under it. And so he's saying, these commandments showed us just what was really going on within us. In verse 14, it says, or verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now we know why Peter said some of his things are hard to understand. In verse 14, he goes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Everyone on that? <laughs> and it's funny because it's a lot of words, but I think you can catch the drift. I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. In fact, I hate those things, but I find myself doing them. Can anyone identify with that? What's wrong with you? No, I... <laughs> That's the sad part, is we identify, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't want to react this way, but I find myself reacting in just that way. Verse 18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. I don't like the translation sinful nature because it gives us this idea of we got this bipolar nature, and that's not the case. It's talking about our humanity here. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Okay, there's a lot here. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but our lives, 
when we come to faith to God or not, are headed in a direction. And we have that momentum moving us in how we live and the things that we do. We come to this knowledge of who God is and what God desires of us, and it affects us. And when we say, I want to surrender my life to you, Lord, I want you to come into my life and be a part of my life, to make your home within me, God says, okay, I'll make my home in you. I'll give you a new heart. I will write my law on your heart so that it will be a part of your life. And we say, great, good. I should have no more problems, right? Everything should be good as gold now because now you're in me, Lord. I, I, I got Jesus in my life. Hallelujah. Everything's good as gold. And we find that that's not the case. We find that we have contentions. We find that we have struggles. We find that we have arguments. We have disagreements. We have pride. We have a lot of issues. We've got the momentum of our life just continuing as it was when we come to faith in God and now we have the understanding and we have to put the brakes on some of us, you know, lived pretty decent lives. And so the momentum isn't carrying us as much as some of us who were going to hell in a handbasket. Have you guys ever been on that ride at carnivals that you, you sit against the wall and it spins you around and then the floor drops? Remember that one? I mean, and it's like you're sitting there and a boom, you're up there and then it starts spinning and then soon the store, floor stops falling and you kind of start sinking and you know there's some guys who are trying to like lift their arms up and they're like Kong, you know they're coming back oops they're doing those things uh and then you've got you know the girl who only weighs 80 pounds and she's like she's like paper against there you know she can't move at all you know she's almost you know invisible you know where'd she go she's just kind of squashed into the wall and then you got the guy you know who's kind of starts falling because anyway and then everyone's watching the guy who's just quiet and turning colors. You know, it's like, oh, this could get real ugly. <laughs> but that momentum just kind of pushes you against the wall and you find yourself just stuck there. And our momentum of life sometimes is just pushing us, pushing us, and we have this struggle within us because we know what's right, but we've got the momentum of our life pushing us to do things the way we've always done. How do we escape that? How do we get out of that? Well, it already began if you said, yes, I, I want you in my life. But it, it starts slow. It's an inward working out. And that's why Paul says, my flesh... It's human. I know what I want to do, but I, I've got these voices saying, ah, oh, why don't you do this instead? Hey, why don't you go over here? And I struggle with these things, but I know what's right. How do you know what's right? Because God planted a seed in your heart when you said, I want to live for you and not just for me. And that seed does grow. That seed is the beginning of a new life in you that is changing who you are. And it's doing it from the inside out. He goes on in verse 8 because we can't stay in chapter 7. You know, a lot of people think this is Paul at his worst place. 
But I really think this is Paul at his best. Because what is happening is Paul is recognizing his life and the brokenness of his life, the need in his life for God's work. Again, it's that issue of pride. Because the more we live in our life in violation to to God's ways and the way that God created us, the more broken our lives become. The more injury we add to ourselves, the more fragmented our soul is going to be. And the more we ignore or violate or live in rebellion against what God desires for our lives, the more momentum we continue and the more brokenness takes place in our lives. In other words, if we don't allow that seed to come in and change who we are, we just continue spinning and spinning and spinning, and we're stuck. And you all know, and maybe you are someone, I know I was someone whose life was just in violation to all the things that God had written for us to do and to live. I was just, had no clue of those things, and it resulted in a lot of damage. And maybe you know people that are living those lives in rebellion and violation to the things that God has declared. And it's destroying their lives. Where does it change? Well, this is where it changes. When Paul recognizes who he really is. In verse 8 it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, here's the bottom line. It's taking a long time to get there, but here's the point in dealing with who we are as people and our character and our change that's continuing. What needs to happen in our lives is we need to grow. We need to move forward. You never get there. You never, I'm done, I'm perfect, look at me. It just doesn't happen. There is continual progress that is necessary in our lives. And if that progress isn't taking place and you're stuck, then it's going to cause damage. Well, how do we continue moving forward? Continue recognizing the struggle that's going on and continue pushing forward. It's a part of how life is. It's not depression. You don't have to go, oh, man, this is miserable. It's thank God I am not condemned. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. Who began the work? He did. When I said, Jesus, I need your help, he said, I'll be there. I will help you. And it's been 10 years, Lord. Are you still helping me? I'm still helping you. Do you remember where you were 10 years ago? Yeah, I was an idiot. Yeah, you were. And I'll tell you about where you are now in 10 years, you know, but you're moving forward. You're growing. It might be baby steps. It might be small, but you are moving forward. If you do not recognize this need for growth in your life, then those relationships will never be mended. Then those obstacles and that pride will seep in and you will never grow. You will stuck, stay stuck right where you're at. And what I love about this passage and passages like this in Scripture that showed the humanity of those who were pillars in the church is it's real. It's dealing with the reality of who we are and how God works with the reality of who we are. And so we see what's taking place here is God is doing a work in Paul 
just like he did in Peter. In fact, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, this work continuing. 2 Timothy is at the end of Paul's life. He's in prison. He's about to be put to death. And he probably knows it. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. He says, Do your best, writing to Timothy, to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get this. Get Mark. That's the same person we just read about in Acts 15. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I send Tychicus and Festus when you come. Bring the cloak that I left at Carpus, at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. At the end of Paul's life, he says, bring Mark. What happened between chapter 15 and the end of Paul's life? He grew. He forgave. He reconciled. He worked through. Paul, the apostle, the one who penned most of the New Testament, he grew. Are we growing? Are we humbling ourselves and allowing work to continue in us? Or are we stuck? Have we limited what God wants to do because of our pride? Have we severed relationships because they hurt us? because they bailed on us, because they've done things to us? Or are we growing through those things? Now, not everyone wants to be reconciled. This took Mark's play in this as well. But you see, if that seed of life is in you, then it, it will grow. And the scary thing is if it's not growing if you are not growing, if you are not developing and continuing in this faith, and you don't continue if you don't recognize the battle that's going on within you, the struggle that's there constantly, the fight over how to live your life and to surrender to the things that God wants to do in your life. Well, how do I know what things God wants to do? Again, this is my favorite scripture, I think, this week anyway says, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And that's what we see taking place both in Peter and both in Paul. We see that they're acting justly. Peter did what was right. He didn't do just what he felt like in retaliation. Paul restored with Mark, showing mercy, and they both walked humbly with their God. If we do these things, the work will continue. The work that God has begun in us. He wants it to continue. Don't let the momentum of your life stop you from growing. From developing as a, a follower of Christ. Humble yourself. Allow that work to continue so that it can affect others. 
It affected the whole church in regards to Peter and his declaration. It affected Mark. At some point, these two men were reconciled, and he became helpful to him. In fact, at the end of his life, Paul says, have Mark come here. He, I could use him right now. As well as the cloak and those other things I want, I want Mark. Restoration took place because Paul humbled himself at some point and said, let's make things better. We need to be willing to do that in our lives as well. Even though it's difficult, even though sometimes we're stuck, we need to be able to allow the growth of God's Spirit to work within us and to continue us moving us forward. Let's pray. God, I just hope I was able to be clear and how important it is to deal with the conflict that is within us. Lord, that conflict is there when your spirit is working within us. And I suppose it's more frightening if there is no conflict at all. And Lord, I know I've seen in people that lack of growth, that lack of humility, and I don't want that in my life. I've seen people who just, as they get older and older, just get meaner and meaner and more stubborn and more prideful. And Lord, I don't want that to be me. And Lord, I hope that the things we looked at today are are helpful in making clear what does need to take place so that we don't get stuck. That we would recognize the battle and the conflict that is within us. But Lord, if we have said yes to you, you have planted your spirit within us. You have made us new creations through Christ. And old things have passed away and you are making all things new. But Lord, even as followers of Christ, we can get stuck. We are not immune to it. Peter was not immune to it. Paul was not immune to conflict. We are not immune to it. We live in it. So help us, I pray, to grow through it. To allow our lives to move forward and not live in a bondage to circumstances, to relationships gone bad, to situations that poison our lives. Lord, help us to move forward, to humble ourselves, to seek justice, to desire mercy. The things that you have planted within our heart, the things that are from you. Open our eyes to see and empower us to live this life. And I do pray you would give us inspiration, Lord, to move forward. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.